Hello, and thanks for checking out this week's Dynasty Blueprint. This week, Matt and I are joined by Dan Sanio. We look back at last week's action around the NFL. We talk about the dynasty values of Derrick Henry and Calvin Ridley. And then we do another Back to the Future quarterback draft, which includes the incoming 2020 rookies. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell. I'm joined by Matt Williamson and Dan Sanio, as always. Dan, how are you? I'm good. I feel bad I wasn't able to get the thread going this week. I've got a little family stuff going on, but I'm happy to be here to at least get some takes going here uh, if I'm not able to on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are glad to have you back. You, We missed you last week, uh, but we're we're glad you're back. And it's 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 such a grind to keep up that content production uh every week and and that even though it's you know it's just on twitter air quotes that's that's still some content i know you spend a ton of time working on that we appreciate it but you're ready as you said to share your thoughts on on some key players matt how are things things are good coming down the home stretch here we got a, a little bit of uh we got fantasy playoffs around the corner some leagues it's already happened we won't talk about the one that you and I battled it out to the end, but uh, came up victorious, luckily, very luckily. And things are well. How about you? Well, other than that, things are pretty well for me <laughs> also. Uh, yeah, I was I was uh, bragging earlier. Not Maybe, maybe bragging is not the word, but at least patting myself on the back. Uh, I made the playoffs in 14 out of my 15 dynasty leagues. But, wow. Matt, as we talked about last week, 10 of those, the hyperactive leagues and the kitchen sink leagues, uh, have already started prior to this week uh, in week 12 and week 13. So out of those 10 that I made the playoffs in, I think I'm already out in five of those. One of those, thanks to you. I maybe should have worked on my lineup a little bit more and and patted myself on the back a little bit less, but that's that's how fantasy goes sometimes. 14 out of 15 is pretty strong, though, brother. Once you get in, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, guys, as always, we're going to take a look back on last week's action. We had a ton of it with a lot of a lot of dynasty relevant conversation. I think that tends to pop up even more as we get late into the season because dynasty players are are losing in the playoffs. Their season is ending and they start really focusing on the next year. That's what we're going to do here on this episode. And Dan, I want to start with Derrick Henry. He just went off again, third straight week with over 140 rushing yards. He had 149 and a touchdown uh, against the Colts in this one. We've got brand new Dynasty ADP from DLF. He is the RB12. This is the first time he's been in that RB1 range, that top 12 running back range, uh, in well over two years, about two and a half years He's back in that top 12 group, and and I have to say, he kind of deserves it. What are you doing with Derrick Henry? Yeah, I think this is the right spot for him. I think he 
for basically all season, <clears throat> even during the off season and, and towards the end of last season, was really when I started to kind of buy in because I wasn't really ever a, a Derrick Henry guy. He's not the the type of back I'm looking at because he isn't that PPR back that we're kind of looking to more and more as the league kind of trends in that pass catching back direction. But uh, I was actually having this conversation earlier today. He, to me, is Adrian Peterson light, and, and saying light meaning the production value, not light because he's a monster of a human. So, uh, you know, it's it's one thing, you know, as we see like November and December, he's turning in these monster outputs, and, and now maybe defenders are getting more tired and sore throughout the year. Whatever kind of excuse you want to put on it, he's putting up the numbers consistently in the back half of the seasons. Uh, I'd really, really like to see him start doing this more consistently throughout the season. If maybe the back half isn't averaging 150 a game, maybe it's averaging 90 a game, but he's averaging it all throughout the season. Uh, I think the consistency throughout the year is is where I really struggle to move him up alongside with the PPR value. So in in this instance, I feel like he's finally made the the correction in value it's not an overcorrection because i do believe he's a fringe rb1 i wouldn't say he's right butt up against that top six i think that we've talked about before uh, or maybe even top seven now with josh jacobs in that conversation but he's he's definitely deserving in that next group i'd love to see him get a little more work in the passing game but tennessee has just kind of never really used him that way it's always been Dion lewis or nothing uh, at least in the last couple of years. So, you know, I, I take him for what he is, and that is a two-down back, but a very good two-down back. So, yeah, I, I'm just fine with that RB12 designation right now. I think I think the community in those mocks got it right. And, I, you know, I wouldn't argue against somebody that wanted to put him at 9 or 10, and I wouldn't argue against somebody that wanted to put him at 14 or 15. I feel like he can fit into any of those zones just because of the, the non-PPR factor. Yeah, that's great stuff there, Dan. I agree with just about all of it. Uh, a couple topics with him I wanted to throw out is we know he's not an accomplished receiver, but even when they just dump it to him in space and he gets his wheels rolling, I mean, look out. If he can get the ball past the line of scrimmage in a little bit of space, I think that might continue to increase a little. I mean, it's just such a valuable weapon. Um, two other things are... He's not like any other back in the league, of course. Defense, I mean, he's not old, but defenses don't get old. He takes a, a unbelievable pounding. I think he can handle it much better than Joe Average running back. But at some point, his style is not is going to be a longevity issue, in my opinion. And last thing I want to note on Henry, though, too, is when you look at the Titans, it wouldn't shock me at all if their top priority this offseason is offensive line help, which would be great. I mean, they use a first-round pick on an offensive lineman or add two starters. That could go a long way. I was thinking about the Titans roster the other day and, and their recent success, really, since they've moved to Ryan Tannehill. And there are there are so many quarterback issues around the league. There's so obviously so few answers at that position. And you have to think that they're just going to ride with Tannehill going yeah. into 2020, which I certainly wouldn't have thought that uh, a month ago or six weeks ago. But it really just feels like 2020 could be a repeat of what, we, what we've what we seen this year. 
stick with Tannehill, stick with Derrick Henry, focus on that run heavy run heavy game and and play some defense. So, uh, Dan, I agree with you. I, I think this is uh, I think this is about the right spot for Derrick Henry. I think it was I believe it was uh, Matt Kelly I saw on Twitter say yes, Derrick Henry is one dimensional, but he's elite at that one dimension, which is just just Matt, like you said, just pounding the ball, running hard, and and he also we we know he can break that uh, long touchdown as well. So Henry up to running back twelve. Dan, are are you buying him, or you think that's about right? It sounds like are you giving a, a mid first for him? Yeah, I think as far as as buying goes, I think buying all season up until this point, as we've seen the value correct, I still think that a market value offer I'm I'm buying him at. The problem is a lot of the owners aren't viewing him as a 106 or a 105. They're thinking you need to give up a top three or four pick to get into Derrick Henry. Uh, and as great as, as everyone, you know, I mean, I'm on board with it as well. As great as that 2020 class is perceived to be, there still really isn't that sure thing that can't miss guy. There's all sorts of upside and all sorts of potential, but we're watching Derrick Henry do this. We're watching him produce, and we know that they're going to continue to pound the ball, like you mentioned. Um, we assume they're going to stick with, with Ryan Tannehill. I don't see them making a substantial move at running back. I don't see them doing anything that would hurt his value in, in the short term. If anything, they'll do stuff that's going to help him. So I feel like if you can get him at that RB12 market value, I'm just fine with that. If it's the recency bias price i think it's probably just a hold because he's probably valued right in that gap of those guys um but if you get a big time offer of like 101 plus or any you know a top three pick plus i think i'm okay moving derrick henry what about one of those young receivers like a dj moore or ridley or you know it's a sutton those type of guys i mean I, i would rather probably have them than henry just for the big picture and the other note just off season I could see them trying to replace Deion Lewis, though. Like, I don't know if that would kill Henry or hurt him bad, but I think they could use a younger version of Deion Lewis. Yeah, I think that makes sense, too. And as we've all talked about, Henry has pretty much no role in the passing game, so I, I don't think that would really hurt, uh, of course, depending on who they did bring in. Matt, you mentioned Calvin Ridley. I want to talk about him next. Uh, one of the reasons I got bounced from so many playoff games last week was Julio Jones did not play. Calvin Ridley had a had a strong game on Thanksgiving night, and I, I just started looking at these two Falcons wide receivers. Ridley is 24 years old, soon to be 25. He's the wide receiver 19 this year that's playing 12 games. Julio Jones, of course, has missed one game. That was his, his first uh, absence of the year. But he's he's barely outscored Calvin Ridley. He's wide receiver 17, outscored Ridley by a total of four points, uh, albeit in one less game. Dan, if you're building a dynasty team right now, we said we were going to talk about that perspective of 2020 and beyond. If you're drafting in 2020, uh, the offseason of 2020, which Falcons receiver are you valuing more highly? Well, I think as far as, as value goes, they're probably – almost a dead heat but if I'm building and looking at 2020 I think Calvin Ridley's the guy that I want unfortunately uh, I think we've seen a, a slow change of the guard over time consistent targets for both of them basically throughout the entire season and as we see Julio age and and maybe lose that step 
<clears throat> we see defenses be able to take him away just ever so slightly more than they have in the past. And that opens up that option for Calvin Ridley to be able to thrive just a little bit. Now, I'm not entirely sure that <clears throat> that Ridley can, can um, compete as a true NFL wide receiver one. I think he's an ideal wide receiver two. And you don't really have much better counterpart than Julio Jones. We may end up seeing something kind of like what we did just to a, a smaller extent with the Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster. Once we see Julio move on, if he does move on, and and that could really hurt Calvin Ridley. I feel like he's in need of a partner in crime, and um, you know the the target share will probably increase, and it might be significant. The problem is the quality of those targets may not increase. It, it may it may be you know a tough sledding against the the top defenses in the NFL, especially having to work against the number one corners. Yeah, I would rather have Ridley too, and it's not particularly close. You know, when I read this question for the first time, I was like, wow, but I want Ridley. You know, just he has a lot more years ahead of him, and it's more of an indictment on Jones than I'm doing cartwheels over Ridley, but how long is Ryan going to be playing at a high level? Jones has taken such a beating. We know he has foot issues anyways, screws in his feet and all those things. He's got a load of millions in the bank is he going to do this a lot longer and take all that beating or is he going to kind of gronk his way out I don't I don't know I mean they could have a new coach what's the future of the Falcons I would much rather have Ridley I want Ridley as well I especially want Ridley when you factor in their ADP I mentioned that new December ADP uh, that will be rolling out soon Julio Jones is 22 overall in that data Calvin Ridley is 42 overall. So when you factor that in, the the current value gap, I think that makes it an even easier discussion. And uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we talked about Julio Jones versus DJ Moore. Uh, when we were drafting our wide receivers, we went with Moore there, and uh, and now that seems like it wouldn't even be a conversation, honestly. So Julio is feeling like uh, one of the number one players to sell really as quickly as you can. I don't even want to say the off season. If you can, uh, if you can make that move, get a young wide receiver. I, I do think you could get Ridley plus um, if you want to move down into, into that Ridley range. I don't think you can get DJ Moore. Uh, I doubt you could get Cortland Sutton. Dan, what do you think on that one? Can't get Sutton for him, right? No, you're probably not getting any of those high-end guys that are under 23, 24, 25 years old. If you're moving on from Julio and looking to slide down, you either need to slide down for productive type that's maybe in that 28 to 30 range, or you need to try to add and move up into the DJ Moores, into the Cortland Suttons. Um, You might not even be able to get DK Metcalf for him at this point. I I feel like he's kind of taken that, that steep cliff. Derrick Henry or Julio Jones? Derrick Henry. Yeah, me too. It hurts. It, hurts. <laughs> it does hurt. It does hurt. That one stings. That one really stings. Let's go back to Derrick Henry and that Titans uh, game because they just punished the Colts. Uh, the Colts are really struggling. We uh, this is this is kind of easy to see coming with uh, with Andrew Luck retiring and and they certainly started the season well, but they've had injuries. Jacoby Brissett has kind of uh, turned into a pumpkin. Do we want anybody on the Colts roster? Are we buying anybody from a dynasty perspective on this entire team, Dan? Well, I think if those values have gone pear-shaped, uh, I mean, it's hard not to. I think 
I think Marlon Mack, because of the injury, is it was a pretty nice buy. I feel like he's kind of in that similar Derrick Henry mold where he's he is one dimensional, but he's really good at what he does. And if you're you know in your super flex leagues, if Jacoby Brissett becomes an option to buy and you're able to get him for a second round pick or something like that, uh, I don't think you hesitate even for a second because I do think that Jacoby Brissett is going to lead this offense at least for one more season. And, and that investment is absolutely worth it. Um, as much as I love T.Y. Hilton, that's this is one where I'm starting to kind of like slow down a little bit. Uh, I feel like the injuries are, are kind of starting to pile up, and, and he's not really able to, to kind of get away from it. So I'm probably holding T.Y. Hilton everywhere right now. I, I wouldn't be buying, and I'm probably not selling because you're really not getting anything for him. Um Paris Campbell, because of the potential upside, I, I could see wanting to buy there. But it, it's a tough spot unless you really truly believe in one of these players outside of Marlon Mack to really go and spend you know, any kind of capital into something that you're not entirely sure is going to either be relevant or good in 2020. Uh, well said. I mean, I think... You probably your trade deadline probably came and went, but like this would be a good week to go get Mac because he's out of sight, out of mind. Stocks down for all Colts. Brissett's the one that absolutely came to mind the most, though. Even in non super flex, but ideally there because my thoughts are they have a good line, they have a good coach. He's been asked to do way too much lately with very minimal weapons and speed on the field. They gave him money. And I think it's a very good organization that'll surround them with some more pieces this offseason. So, Brissett's somebody I would actively try to get. Matt, I know about the contract, obviously, and, and the way he did start the season. Do you think there's any chance Brissett is not the uh, 2020 starter for the Colts? No. I mean, maybe they make a Will Greer-like draft pick on the third round or something like that, but... They have a bunch of seconds. Maybe they'll do something along those lines. But I don't blame Brissett at all for their struggles. I think they know who he is. I think they're quite happy with him. I think he's their guy. Dan, let's look at the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Like they've done so many weeks this year, they ran the ball uh, and ran the ball well on Sunday uh, against uh, one of the best defenses in the league uh, uh, in the Ravens. But it wasn't Tevin Coleman. It wasn't Matt Breda who uh, missed the game once again. It was Raheem Mostert uh, who had 146 yards on 19 carries. He had a long touchdown. Tevin Coleman carried the ball five times for six yards. We know we want a piece of this rushing offense. We're just not exactly sure who we want. So is Mostert this good or is Tevin Coleman this bad? I don't know that we can stake either one of those claims confidently. I think it's a, more of the nature of the beast. I think whoever is in that backfield is going to produce. I feel like Tevin Coleman isn't quite healthy, uh, at least not 100%. Obviously, Matt Breida isn't healthy because he's not playing at the moment. And Raheem Mostert is is kind of an interesting guy because he's you know he's been in the league for, what, four or five years. He's kind of been a journeyman he's been on like seven teams i think something like that maybe six teams and he's you know he he profiles as just kind of this little speedster guy but he can do a lot more than you know than just kind of the the scat back mentality he fits perfect as a shanahan running back and i i mean 
like I said, they're going to kind of do whatever they want with these running backs because they all kind of do the same thing. They all, you know, are kind of from the same mold. And it's going to be interesting to see in 2020, assuming Jarek McKinnon's back on the roster and healthy, because again, that's another guy that kind of fits that mold that they all do somewhat similar things. So I don't want to say that Raheem Mostert is the best of the three. I think uh, if I had to pick one and assume health, I would probably want Matt Breida. As much as I do like Tevin Coleman, I feel like Breida has shown more in the offense. Um, unfortunately, we haven't gotten to see really anything from Jarek McKinnon because of injury. So I think that ship likely has sailed. Uh, but if Tevin Col- Coleman's being given away in the offseason, uh, I-, I might go and-, and grab a few shares there. But yeah, like I said, I, I just feel like whoever is here is going to produce... And it might be a committee. It might be one guy. It's going to depend on health and who they stick with. Yeah, I mean, it really, and it showed on Sunday that it, it could just be the hot hand that given week. You know, if Coleman wasn't 100%, Mostert was running well, we're just going to stick with him. But that's awful for us. I mean, we don't know who's going to be who. And I think Brita might be the best player of the three, but he's the one I trust to stay healthy by far the least. I still believe in Coleman. It might be a little bit of a buy-low window for him. But in the end, this backfield, I just want to own the backfield. I wish you could just own the San Fran backfield as opposed to, (laughs) you know, picking guys. Because I don't know that there's going to be a clear-cut answer unless they use a second-round pick on a running back or something like that. Yeah, we're probably dealing with something similar in Kansas City right now as well. Both of these these offenses, offenses have have had a strong running game all year, but with injuries, with um, some some disappointing play from Coleman specifically, from Damian Williams on the Chiefs' side, uh, it's been tough to figure out on a weekly basis who to, uh, who to ride with. So a really odd situation, but Dan, sounds like you are buying Tevin Coleman if he is cheap, and I do think he will be cheap. Absolutely. All right, let's. Uh, we've we've got one more question before we get into our draft here. Dan, who is a player that has barely played this year that you would still be buying in a dynasty league? Um, that's a that's a good question. I feel like someone that hasn't played at all that I might still be interested in on a contender. Looking at twenty twenty, is AJ Green. You know, we we talk about Julio Jones and that ship. You know, potentially sailing, but. AJ Green getting kind of a free year off, and I feel like some of this injury is the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> that's that's his injury oh, is, yeah. is the team he's playing for, and uh, Ryan Finley for a little while there. And you know, I'm kind of hoping a little bit we get to see him at the back end here. I don't know why he would come back if he can stay out. I would stay out, um, but I feel like we see him in a new place in 2020. And you know, at you know, he is 30 or 29, or 30, whatever he's at now. And he's going to get to pick and choose where he wants to go. It's going to be on a contender. It's likely going to be a place where he's going to get some touches. And that's what kind of what I'm looking for as a contender. Now, as a rebuild type of guy, that's kind of where it gets a little more interesting. Quarterback immediately comes to mind, someone like Cam Newton, because we know of his potential upside and what he's been held back by injury. I still think that he's very capable of being that fringe QB1. I don't think we ever see him get back to that 2015 or 2016, whatever year that was. I don't think we ever see that Cam Newton again. But I still think he can he can definitely 
Uh, he can pay the bills, if we want to put it bluntly. He'll, he'll be able to put points up. Uh, it may not be to the Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, uh, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson in that category, but I do think we can get some solid uh, work out at Cam, and he's still relatively young. Those are good ones. I had A.J. Green written down here. Uh, Antonio Brown, I mean, he could still – who knows what's going to happen with him. He's a lunatic, but – He's a massive producer if he gets on the field. Uh, And this one doesn't quite count, but how about Ryan's guy, Juju? I mean, he's played. It's not like he hasn't played this year, but it might be. It is kind of like, kind of like, yeah, his production kind of goes that way. Another guy along those lines, but a lesser player would be much cheaper. How about Pettis in, in the, in San Francisco? Could he end up somewhere else? I mean, I just thought he's a better player than he's shown us. And then interesting one that's, you know, kind of, Topical, Darwin Thompson. Yeah, I like I like the Thompson call a lot. You guys went a, a different direction, which I, I I like because I wasn't really even thinking about those veterans, those injured players. Uh, a couple guys I had written down: Ian Thomas, the Panthers backup tight end. I mean, I just feel like this has to be it for Greg Olson. Suffered a concussion last week, so uh, Thomas has been on the field, just not. Uh, not a substantial amount at all, but still holding out hope for him. Another tight end, Chris Herndon. We kind of know the story there, the suspension, then the injury, then another injury. I think he ended up playing one game before he landed on the uh, injured reserve list. Uh, And then Hakeem Butler, the Cardinals rookie wide receiver who missed his entire rookie season with, uh, with, I believe, a finger injury. So, uh, hopefully we see all of those guys on the field. Uh, I think all of them, including the veterans you guys mentioned, are worth worth at least inquiring about. And, and A.J. Green might be the best call of all because the good news is he's probably going to be on a different team next year. I think one guy, one guy maybe missed, which I'm surprised you missed because I thought this would definitely be on your list, which is why I avoided it. <laughs> Damian Harris. Uh, you know, we, yeah, yeah. we've seen them kind of – push Sony Michelle to the side. We're seeing them lean heavily on James White. They get Rex Burkhead mixed in. And we know that they signed James Whitehead or James Whitehead, James White to um that contract, you know, it is what it is. I feel like next year we're gonna see Damian Harris get mixed in. They drafted him for that reason. They drafted him to use him. And based on what we saw at Alabama, I can't imagine that that it's gonna be a step down from Sony Michelle. If anything, that's a lateral move. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. It was uh, I was a big Damian Harris supporter going into the season. Uh, my doubts about Sony Michelle really led me to think Harris would be a factor this season. And and I, I said this on the on the DLF Dynasty podcast. I, I don't. I mean, I don't get why they haven't used him yet. Uh, he's he's barely played at all. As much as uh, Michelle has struggled. They have stuck with him, and uh, I, I really do think it's starting to to hurt them. We've seen their defense kind of carry that team throughout the season, but uh, their offense is is really struggling. And you know, you have you have to try something. I don't know if Harris is the answer, but I'm pretty sure Sony Michelle is not the answer. Harris is a good call. Who knows how long Michelle will even last in this league? I just don't know if being part of the New England offense is a good thing anymore. Yeah, you know what is a good thing. Our buddies over at Harry's. It's it's the holiday season. A lot of us, you know, men, we get ties, we get wallets, we get socks, we get boring stuff. So if you're shopping for your dad, your brother, your uncle, your boyfriend, your fiance, whatever, 
Think about Harry's. I switched over to Harry's a long time ago. I'm very happy for it. It's a gift that's both thoughtful and practical. Um, the razor blades are high-end. They are much easier on my skin. They last longer than other blades I've used in the past. And listeners from our show can get $5 off any Harry's shave set by heading to harrys.com dynasty. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. This is just a holiday special for you guys. It's a practical gift he'll actually use. Harry's makes sharp blades that last. They're German-engineered and award-winning, backed by a 100% quality guarantee, so if he doesn't love his shave, you get a full refund. He will love his shave. It's a great deal for you and him. Holiday sets start at just 20 bucks. That's within Santa's Secret Santa limits. And Harry's blade refills are as low as $2 each, so your guy will save money over time. Comes in a ready-to-gift in a handsome holiday gift box, and your gift gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. Very cool. As a special offer for our fr- for our fans of the show, we've partnered up with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com slash dynasty, plus you'll get free shipping. Every shaving, every shaving set from Harry's comes with a weighted handle with an option to engrave, five-blade razor cartridges, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, travel covers to protect your blades, and they're packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. So... Free shipping ends on December 16th, so act now. Just go to harrys.com slash dynasty. That's harrys.com slash dynasty. Guys, as we have done the past few weeks, we're going to end the show with a Back to the Future draft. Uh, we've we've promised this for the past few weeks that we are going to repeat these drafts, this time with the incoming rookies. And we're going to start with the easy one. We're going to go back to the quarterbacks. Uh, 2020 does look like a... Pretty good uh, rookie class for the quarterback position. Not quite as good as uh, we thought it might be a few months ago, but but still certainly some stellar prospects. I don't know if any of them will crack the top 12, but we'll find out. Um, we're going to, going to start with Dan. And, and just, just one more reminder, if you've missed some of the earlier ones, we are drafting these uh, these quarterbacks as if it were the offseason of 2020 and we're preparing for the 2020 season in the dynasty league. Dan, you get the one Oh one this time. All right, guys. Well, I promise some takes. <clears throat> this is going to be one. I apologize in advance. Please don't yell at me <laughs> with the first pick of the back to the future QB draft. I'm actually going to take Lamar Jackson. I feel like this Baltimore offense is going to continue to build around him and his strengths. They're going to continue to add weapons to make sure he's got what he needs. And, Based on what we've seen this year, I mean, the sky is the absolute limit. He hasn't shied away from running the ball. He hasn't taken any serious hits. And he's been good when they've needed him to be throwing the football. So as much as I'd want to say this is Patrick Mahomes, uh, I think because of the absolute ridiculous rushing floor that Lamar Jackson provides and the nice ceiling he has with his arm, I don't think we can really say anything else at this point. I know there's a lot of recency bias in that take, but, I mean, Lamar has looked freaking good. Yeah, he really has, obviously. And I guess the only thing I get stuck on is we look back at Patrick Mahomes' year last year. He scored more fantasy points than anybody ever had. He's he's had the best quarterback fantasy season ever. And Lamar Jackson is on pace to break that record. So you have to think that's going to be Mahomes' best season of his career. This is going to be Lamar Jackson's best season of his career. 
the only way he can go from here is down. How does that factor into that decision? Or does, or does that really play in more to when you're comparing them to other players, other positions? Um, that, that's a, that's a good question. I, I feel like, I feel like Mahomes was bound to regress because of the absolute absurd amount of yards and touchdowns and everything that there was. Um, whereas Lamar Jackson, we knew that the floor was within his rushing ability and we still haven't seen that offense really at a hundred percent and really with not that much for, for targets for him. Yes. Hollywood Brown has looked good when, you know, here and there, they have Mark Andrews. They've got a couple of nice running backs that provide, you know, a, a little bit of cushion there. But they don't really have any elite pass catchers. They don't really have any, you know, the really big play, the playmaker types. I just feel like they are missing a, a big, big piece. And with that, I feel like you could get more from Lamar Jackson. And as crazy as that sounds, I don't know that this is going to be his best fantasy season ever. I feel like we can get more from his arm and the you know the the rushing floor it may take a slight hit as they probably as his career goes want him to run a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less and supplement that with his arm. So I do feel like we we still have a little bit of wiggle room with Lamar Jackson and I don't think we ever thought there would be more Patrick Mahomes. We saw what we were you know that was as good as it was going to get. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you mentioned the weapons there. Uh, of course, Lamar Jackson is the QB1 this season, as I said, on pace to score more fantasy points than Mahomes last year or any other quarterback ever. Uh, his number one wide receiver from a fantasy perspective is Marquise Brown, and he's wide receiver 37. Uh, he does have Mark Andrews, the tight end three overall, uh, but that just goes to show uh, – just the crazy production Jackson has, has had. Jackson was the uh, quarterback two or the 1.02 the last time we did this about a month ago. Uh, I am going to, of course, take Patrick Mahomes at the second spot. That's the easy one. I think the three pick is probably easy as well, Matt. Yeah, it's Deshaun Watson pretty much in a landslide to me. And I would draw a line out under those three that um, there's a little gap now from three to four. All right, I agree with that. As we already mentioned, uh, Jackson and Mahomes flip-flop. Other than that, uh, the top three stays the same uh, from last month. Matt, who's going to be the 1.04, the fourth quarterback draft? Yeah, this one's a much more difficult decision. There's three guys I really like, but I'm going to take the most proven, the best football player of the group, Russell Wilson. All right. Uh, I have the fifth pick, and I'm glad you took Russ because I want Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray went five last time. Russell Wilson went six last time. And that must make Dan pretty happy because I know who he took fourth <laughs> last time. Who is that, Dan? He would have been my fourth pick here still, and that is Dak Prescott. Uh, he's only been a QB1 in his career. He continues to do that this year. So I feel like because of his age, because of where he's at, uh, and the weapons around him, hopefully they're able to keep everything that they have currently. Uh, I mean, that we, I think we're going to continue to see, at the very worst, a mid-QB1 season from him uh, as long as this core is together. Uh, any any concern with his recent slowdown from his uh, the, the pace he had to start the season? 
think that's more of a Dallas thing than it is a Dak thing. They've yeah. they've just kind of slowly fallen apart. Whether it's the defense, the play calling, the clapper being the clapper, it's um it's an interesting spot right now. It really is. Uh, so it seems like. Uh... Overall, we have a top tier of three quarterbacks. We have a second tier of three quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott. I, I won't say yet who – I won't remind you guys who went seventh last time, but I, I remember we talked about the tier gap after seven. I think right now the tier gap is after six. And, Dan, I'm wondering who you are going to take at the 1.07. Well, that is the tier gap, and I can tell you who went at seven last time will not be going at seven this time. Because I'm going to go with Tua here. I, I feel like, assuming a full recovery, we're going to get that Kyler Murray type. We're going to get Tua with a better and bigger arm, uh, with the potential to run that football. And, and honestly, what I think he'll bring to the NFL is most similar to what we see with Russell Wilson. And I know that's a big, lofty comparison, um, that's, and it's tough to comp people like that. But I feel like Tua can be a franchise changer. He can be that guy. Uh, as much as I wanted to come in and say Joe Burrow right there because what I've seen him do this year is truly special, and I think those two are 1A and 1B as far as incoming rookies go, I just feel like there's a little bit more upside with Tua. We saw him kind of do those same types of things with NFL assets in college, and obviously you know, it's, it's an NFL team versus, well, it'd be like a, an NFL, um, you know, <clears throat> mini team versus a lot of college teams so I, I just feel like two has two has got a lot um a lot to do and, and I do hope that he comes through fully healthy yeah we we all certainly do and uh after he suffered that injury it seemed like the the conversation went to worst case scenario maybe his career's over um maybe he, he never makes it to the NFL that seems to already be kind of put to rest as as m- multiple uh, reports have suggested he's expected to make a full recovery. I checked out the latest uh, 2020 NFL mock draft from from the mock draft or the uh, NFL Draft Network, and they still have Tua in the top five overall in the first round. So that uh, that makes that pick look a little bit stronger. I've got the eighth pick. Real quick, I want to throw something in on Tua. You mentioned the Draft Network. I had Joe Marino on my Locked On NFL podcast today and asked him about Tua, and I thought he had a really good point. He said, if he doesn't declare, well, then we don't have this problem, and he's probably telling you that his injury is a problem. If he declares, count on him being a top couple pick. You know, that how's Miami going to pass on him if he declares? Because they know a lot more than we do. If he declares, he's basically telling you, I'm going to be an early pick. Right, and, and uh, I believe the the latest mock draft, they have a ton of them over there, which I love. Uh, but the the one I was looking at, I think, was from Jordan Reed. And he did have Tua going with the fifth pick to the Miami Dolphins, as you said. And even mentioned maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick staying around as that bridge quarterback uh, while Tua recovers, which makes makes a lot of sense. And they could wait a year if they had to on him. Right. All right, so I've got the eighth pick. Uh it's getting it's getting a little scary. I definitely see why you took the risk on Tua there. I'm going to go with a player who also was not drafted in our last draft. Uh, I'm going to take Josh Allen here at eight. Uh, we we've seen seen him really uh, kind of hit on a hot streak lately. Unlike last year, he's doing it more with his arm than his legs, which makes me feel a little bit better about him as a long term prospect. Yeah, I was torn with my pick coming up between Allen and Wentz. 
Allen's a much hotter name over the last couple weeks, but I trust Wentz still more as a player. I trust the Eagles to get it right long-term around him. So I would have loved to got both here and they're on the turn, but I will take Wentz. And then I'm kind of looking and going, hmm, I'm going to take a guy I don't think was drafted the last time we did it, Baker Mayfield. But there's two guys, including Mayfield, Mayfield and Dak, I think they're going to have new coaches, and that's a lot of uncertainty for me, for a quarterback. Yeah, it, it certainly is. You're taking Baker there at 10. He actually was drafted last time. He was he was drafted at 10, that same spot. Uh, so that, that works. That puts me back on the clock at 11. And, you know, I look at these options. I think I'm going to go the same route as you, uh, Dan. And I think I'm just going to go with the rookie. I'm, I'm really too worried about the rest of these guys. So I'll, I'll take Joe Burrow. I, I certainly don't love him as a prospect. I, I, not very many, or I, I should say I didn't love him coming into the season as a prospect. Not very many people did. But he's, he's the odds-on favorite to be not only the Heisman winner, but the 1.01 pick, most likely landing with the Bengals. Uh, some, some concerns about that landing spot. Still some <laughs> concerns about Burrow overall, honestly. But looking at the names that are left, I, I think that's where I would be taking a chance on the rookie just to see how it plays out. So I'll take Joe Burrow at 11. Yeah, it's hard to argue with any of that. Like you mentioned, people really weren't uh, on that on that ship quite yet. I mean, I, I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that really had him as a top option. I think the other option was always Justin Herbert, um, who I guess realistically could be in play here. Uh, but I'm going to go with seasoned veteran Matthew Stafford. Uh, he is injured at the moment, but he's got uh, I, I, what I would call the most talent around him. Uh, yes, he did get to play with Calvin Johnson, but currently he has Baby Megatron. He's got Marvin Jones. He's got TJ Hawkinson. Um, I know that Carrion Johnson is kind of hit and miss. He's hot and cold, but I feel like that's an upgrade from what they've had at running back, and everything's kind of coming together. So for what Matthew Stafford has left, I feel like he's going to be surrounded with high-end talent and being able to continue to produce at that level is super, super important. And Detroit doesn't really look like they're going to be winning a whole lot of games in the coming future based on the way the defense is built. So, I mean, we're probably looking at a 40, uh, a 40 pass minimum for Matthew Stafford weekly. I thought he played great before his injury too, and didn't get nearly enough credit for it. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's recap our draft. We had Lamar Jackson going first overall. I don't think that's too much of a hot take. Dan Patrick Mahomes second, Deshaun Watson third. We mostly agreed that was the end of that tier. Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott is another tier of three, getting us halfway through our draft. And then I, th- I think you guys would probably agree that from seven to twelve, and then even deeper, including some of the players that we did not draft, it's really one large tier. And, and we could see any of those guys slide up or down uh, within that tier. And maybe even some of these younger guys, Allen, Wentz, Baker, could all get back there. Uh, the rookies could certainly find their way in uh, into that second tier eventually within the next year or two. But seven, we had two attack of Aloha, the, the incoming rookie. We hope at least. We'll wait and see if he declares with that injury. Josh Allen at eight, Carson Wentz at nine, Baker Mayfield, Mayfield at ten. Another incoming rookie, Joe Burrow at 11, and Matthew Stafford at 12. 
that means we had three quarterbacks that were drafted previously when we did this a month ago who did not get drafted. Jameis Winston was eight. Aaron Rodgers was nine and Jared Goff was 12. I was a little bit embarrassed that I made that Jared Goff pick guys. That was, that was bad. <laughs> uh, and then a few other guys who uh, could have been also considered Matt Ryan, Kirk cousins, Dan, you mentioned Justin Herbert, who is also projected as a top 10 NFL draft pick. All of those guys make up that deep third tier of the quarterback position uh, in the current dynasty landscape. Sam Darnold was a guy I had not too far out of my 12, though, too. Okay. Uh, Dan, anybody else you would have considered? Um, no, I feel like that that tier, those names that you mentioned, the only one you know, kind of on the outside looking in, maybe on that tier would be Cam Newton. I feel like he fits in with, with that group, assuming health, uh, and it would depend on landing spot. We'll see what Carolina does, but I can't imagine they'll be bringing him back. Uh, and then, I mean, you could you could probably make a case for Jimmy Garoppolo, even though I don't think it's a case to be made. Um, and Daniel Jones would be the other one where I feel like we've seen a little bit in his rookie season where he could make that step as a sophomore, um, or he could just kind of revert back to, you know, the the kind of mistakes and stuff we've seen this year. But uh, there's a lot of potential on this board. It's a very different board than we're kind of used to with the Bradys and the Breezes and the Bens. But um, I kind of like the way this is all trending. Duck Hodges. Yeah, there you no. go. <laughs> little Duck Hodges in there. No, no, we, we're, we'll have to edit that out. <laughs> I thought the Jared Goff pick was embarrassing. <laughs> all right, guys, we'll be back next week. We'll look back at the Week 14 action, and we'll also do our uh, Back to the Future draft of the running back position, see how many of those 2020 rookie running backs creep into the top 12. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more Dynasty Blueprint.